Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sassy Warrior Podcast. I am your host, Lucy Pinto. I'm excited to share with you my stories of everyday resilience and allow others to share theirs. My goal is to help people heal and find inner peace through our shared stories. This episode may include profanity or discuss topics that may be triggering for some. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Sassy Warrior Podcast. It's Lucy again. I am so excited today to introduce you to a very good friend of mine, Brianne Bowers. Hi, Brianne. Hello. Thank you for coming on today. I am so excited because Brianne is going to share her story about a special condition that she has been living with, what it has been like for her, and what she's doing these days to deal with the pain. Brianne, would you mind sharing a little bit about the condition that you are living with and how it came about? Of course. I have myofascial pain syndrome, which is something that started for me about 10 years ago. And it was a very slow process to get to my worst point, but it pretty much started with me experiencing some soreness in my neck at the end of a day. And it kind of felt like I had just overdone it or I'd had like a hard workout or something, but I wasn't doing anything like that that would cause that. And it slowly progressed to the point where I had trouble turning my neck in one direction and then the next direction, it went into my shoulders and went into my back. And it just kind of became this overall stiffness and pain that I was experiencing, not just in the evenings, but all day long. It was obviously something that was concerning to me. I wanted to get it checked out. And my first inclination was to go to a chiropractor because I had been in four car accidents prior to this point. The last one was two years prior to all of this pain starting. I had gone to a chiropractor to help after each car accident because I had experienced whiplash or different back pain and all of that. The chiropractor was able to help me. So I figured maybe he would have a solution for this. And I saw him and he was not able to help me with anything. He said that he felt like I had a muscle condition and not anything related to my bones. He recommended that I go and talk to my regular doctor. I made an appointment with my regular doctor. He did blood work. Everything came back normal. And he sent me to physical therapy which I did for two months. And the physical therapist said they couldn't really figure out what was going on with me. They didn't think they could really help me. They kind of graduated me from physical therapy, in which case I went back to see my doctor to find out if there was any other options that we could explore. My doctor ended up sending me to a back and neck pain specialist. And when I went to see him, he diagnosed me with myofascial pain syndrome, which if you've never heard of that before, it's basically trigger points that get really hard in your muscles from some sort of trauma or some kind of stress-induced incident in your life. The fascia tissue is what coats our muscles. And for someone like me, the fascia tissue has hardened around my muscles, which keeps my muscles from moving the way that they're supposed to. 
And it can cause all sorts of issues with stiffness, with your muscles not working the right way, with being able to sleep comfortably, all of that kind of stuff, which were things that I was experiencing. When he diagnosed me with myofascial pain syndrome, it made a lot of sense to me. His solutions were not solutions that I was on board with. He wanted me to do a cortisone injection in my neck to try and see if he could loosen up some of the stiffness there. When I got a consultation call from the office that was going to be administering the cortisone shot, she convinced me not to do it because of the injection site being so close to my spine. She said if they were off by an eighth of an inch, I could be paralyzed. Obviously, that was not something that I wanted to do. His other idea was to put me in a brace, like a metal brace from my waist up for six months, in which I wouldn't be able to work. I wouldn't be able to really do much of anything. Didn't seem like a good solution to me, someone who already experiences stiffness and muscle tightness to not be able to move for six months. After that, I kind of decided I need to figure out something else. I went back to my regular doctor and he sent me to physical therapy a second time to a different physical therapist. And it was kind of the same situation. They couldn't figure out what was going on. They kind of graduated me from the program after two months again. And at that point, I didn't really know what to do. It had already been about a year of me going through all of these different steps with still no solution, and still experiencing all the same issues. My sister in law actually did some research online about myofascial pain syndrome and found myofascial release therapy. And I was actually able to look up someone in my area who does myofascial release therapy contacted her. And I've been seeing her ever since. How long have you been seeing her now? I've been seeing her now for about four years. And it's been the only thing that has actually helped me to experience any kind of release, any kind of relief from the pain. She has been able to actually help me to get more movement in my neck and in my shoulders, my back, hips, all sorts of different areas. But it's been a slow process. And I know that it was a slow process getting to my worst point. It took about a year to get from just being sore in the evenings to full body soreness. I know that it's a process to get through this. But there's also been other pieces that I've been discovering along the way while doing this therapy that I didn't realize in the beginning. Some of those pieces have been the emotional and mental link between what I'm experiencing in my body and things that have happened in my past. So I mentioned before the four car accidents. All of them I was rear ended. So I could see the car coming at me from behind. And I'm the kind of person that reacts to a stressful situation by tensing up. A lot of times we talk about fight or flight, but there's also freeze. And I am someone who freezes in those kinds of situations. I could see the car coming at me and would tense up in preparation for it, not trying to avoid it or 
move out of the way or anything like that. I just would kind of freeze in that moment. I have some residuals from those kinds of things that have happened, but also just other traumas and situations in my life that I didn't want to feel what I was experiencing. So I would kind of tense up and stuff down the pain instead of processing through those feelings. When you went to originally go and work with Judith, at what point did you start to realize that some of what you were experiencing was related to your emotions? And the process of I know you were mentioned before that when you're going through the process of working with her and her, I guess she's massaging you, correct? That there's a release that's happening that can sometimes be like a physical yet emotional release. Right. Myofascial release therapy is a method that was actually developed by John Barnes. You can look that up if you're curious about what like all the details are. But I kind of describe it to people as a mix between massage and physical therapy because she'll put like pressure on one of those trigger points that I have on my muscles and I'll start feeling movement or kind of even pain in another part of my body because our bodies are so connected. Our muscles are so connected in ways that we don't always even realize. She might be putting pressure on my shoulder, like my right shoulder, and I might be feeling it in my left knee at the same time. It was probably about a year into this process that I was having an appointment with her and I was having a physical release where my muscles were starting to move and kind of get out of that stuck pattern. When I started getting this vision in my head of the fact that I had a trust issue built on the fact that I had been in so many car accidents around being in a car with anyone else driving. I had a hard time not driving a car and being a passenger because I would get stressed out the whole time and be worried that something was going to happen because I felt if I was in control of the car, I could move out of the way if something was happening. I could see if a car was coming. I could see what was going on. But if someone else was driving, I had no way to control that. And that was the first instance where those two things correlated for me that I realized this isn't just from physical things that have happened to me. Yes, I mean, that was kind of a physical thing that had happened to me, but I had built this whole thing around that, this whole fear around letting someone else drive because of something that had happened to me. Interesting. You would almost think in a way, because I'm looking at it and I'm like, I would think that you would have been in an accident where somebody else was driving and that would cause the anxiety. But when we've been put in a situation where we feel like we're out of control, it, it makes complete sense that you want to be in control the whole time. So do you find that you, like how often are you able to be in a situation where somebody else is driving the car and you're a passenger? Like, is there a limited amount of time that you can be in the car with them or how does that generally work? I'm actually a lot better with it now because that was something that came up about three years ago for me. I kind of had to start putting myself in a situation where I would let someone else drive. Josh and I would take like a drive somewhere that was a couple of hours and I would insist on driving the whole way. We would never take turns. We would never switch because I didn't want him to be the one to drive. Not that I didn't trust his driving, but because of that whole fear. 
So I had to start forcing myself to let him drive and to figure out ways that I could kind of calm down while he was driving. Some of that for me was taking deep breaths. Some of that for me was being on my phone and distracting myself. So I wasn't paying attention to what was happening on the road. And I've actually gotten to the point where he does the majority of the driving now when we do long drives. I don't usually drive at all. And it's not to say that I don't ever get a little bit stressed out because I still do sometimes. But it's so much better than it was before because I would never let anyone else drive. I remember you had talked to me in a previous conversation that Judith had mentioned to you that you were her most extreme case. So generally, like at what level are you affected in relation to other people? What's the scale of where you're at? And what is the hope of you getting to full recovery? Or is that even possible? Yeah, so she did tell me that I'm the most extreme case that she's ever experienced. And she's been doing this for quite a few years now. And she has on the regular about 30 clients that she's seeing every month. From what I've researched and what I understand about, not that she's giving me details about her other clients, but most people will have a more centralized spot or maybe just like one or two trigger points. It might just be their neck or it might just be their back or their hip or their knee. Whereas for me, I have multiple trigger points in different spots that are just as sensitive as that one person could have two or one. Whereas I could have, I probably have like six or seven. A lot of people, when I was researching myofascial release therapy, will only have to go two or three sessions and then maybe have to go once every six months or once a year to kind of maintain that. Whereas for me, I've been going about one to two times a week for the last four years. And that's not to say that that is typical or even should have been this long for me. But I think because I wasn't as receptive to the emotional part in the beginning and kind of finding the correlation with that. And even after that first time where that came up, it didn't happen again for quite a while because I wasn't open to it. I think if I would have been more receptive in the beginning, I may be in a much better place than I am right now. Or I might be much closer to what my normal is going to be because I don't know that I will ever be 100% of where I used to be just because of different things that I've experienced in my life. Like one of the things she said that she thinks has contributed to my condition is the fact that I was a ballerina for 14 years. And it puts a lot of strain on your body in ways that I think a lot of people don't understand. I have a lot of issues in my hips. And she thinks a lot of that is from my ligaments and my hips being so stretched out from the different things that we did in ballet. I may never have the same function that I used to have in my hips because this is just kind of an injury that's never going to go away. But I should be able to get to a place where I'm not in this much constant pain 24-7. That's the hope is to maybe, even if it's 50% of where I used to be would be better than, I would say I'm probably more at like 20-25% of what I used to be prior to all this happening. 
I'm curious, did you enjoy being a ballerina? Like, was it something that you really wanted to do or continue with? Or was it something that you felt like you got into and you just stuck with? I'm just curious. 14 years is a long time to commit yourself to something. I really enjoyed it while I was doing it. And then it got to a point where I was just kind of over it. I was a teenager. I just was kind of wanting to do different things with my time. But I did really enjoy it in the moment. It was definitely something that I was really trying to excel at. And I never really saw myself like, you know, going to like a fancy, I can't even think of a name, Juilliard, maybe is that one? But going to like a fancy school like that or anything. But I was definitely working towards being the best that I could be. And then I just got to a point where I was like, I'd rather spend time with my friends or do something else. (laughs) I want to go a little bit back in your story, because I want to talk about something that I think is super important. Last week was National Infertility Awareness Week. And when I had originally heard your story, you had mentioned to me that there was somewhat of a correlation within the time frame of when this started happening. And when you were trying to get pregnant, would you mind talking a little bit about that? Josh and I, Josh is my husband, by the way, got married in 2008. And about a year into our marriage, decided that we wanted to try having kids. It wasn't going super well. We got about nine months into that process and nothing was happening. I went to get tested and found out that I had PCOS. We did some other tests and I found out that I have a heart-shaped uterus, which makes it harder for an egg to implant. I also have a tipped back uterus, which makes it harder for all of those kinds of things to happen as well. I had multiple other tests just to make sure like my tubes were cleared, just all of that kind of stuff. And my doctor wanted me to take fertility medication to try to jumpstart ovulation we were at about like a year and a half into the process when I decided to take the fertility medication. We were just kind of trying to figure out when things were happening before that and it just wasn't, nothing was happening. I did four rounds of Clomid. They increased the amount of medication that you take each round. So the first round, it was 50 milligrams. The second round, 100. The last two, it was 150 each. That was the most that my doctor wanted to do. And I ovulated not the first month, but the second and third month. So when we started the fourth month, we kind of decided that this was the last round that we were doing. And if I didn't get pregnant, we were not going to try and really do anything else. I ovulated again that fourth round and did not get pregnant. We kind of decided at that point, okay, we're just not we're not going to try anymore. It was kind of one of those things, if it happens, it happens, but we're not really going to pursue any options. The interesting thing is that all of this pain and stuff that I started experiencing started happening about a month after we made that decision. It took me a long time to see the correlation between that. It's actually something that I just recently kind of pieced together that it was literally a month after we made that decision that I started kind of experiencing all of this. We had 
contemplated doing other treatments. My doctor wanted to send me to a fertility specialist to explore other options, things that she wasn't able to offer us, but they weren't covered by our insurance. They were only 50% covered, so we would have to pay 50%. And anyone that has experienced or gone through the variety of different fertility treatments that are out there knows how expensive they are. We're talking, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to have a chance at getting pregnant. It's not even a guarantee. It just was not something that we could afford. And since I was already starting to experience some of this pain and just had some crazy side effects from the fertility medication that I had been on, I was having really bad migraines and I was really irritable and moody and mean. We just weren't sure that that was something we really wanted to pursue anyway. We had made that decision. We aren't going to try really anymore. And if it happens, it happens great. If not, that's okay. But at that point, we kind of decided that we were okay with it just being the two of us for the rest of our lives. It was going to be a family of two and that was fine. And as much as I was able to wrap my mind around that intellectually, there was definitely still a big part of me that really wanted to have a baby and that had wanted to have a baby for so many years that I don't think I even realized in that moment how much I was still holding on to that. So it's definitely something that throughout the last eight years, well, no, I guess 10 years, has been something that I have still had struggles with at different points in time. One of which is just, you know, when a friend or someone gets pregnant, sometimes there's like a little sting. That's never going to be me. I'm always happy for somebody else. And I'm always glad that they are able to experience that. But, you know, it's not something that I'm going to be able to experience. We can retract this later, but I just want to bring it up. First of all, I want to ask you, I know people are probably thinking, you know, why don't you adopt? Or why don't you foster kids? Like, was that ever an option for you? We had the conversation a couple of times about adoption. And it was something that we kind of said, maybe in the future, if we feel like it's a good time, we'll do it. And we've revisited that conversation a couple of times. But neither one of us have ever felt like this is the time to do it. The nice thing has been that we've always been on the same page with that, with that timing, because I know it's hard when you're in a situation where one person wants it and the other one doesn't, and you can kind of have like some resentment. But we have, every time we've had that conversation, we have both been like, no, this is not the right time for us to do this. It's not something that I would completely rule out for the future. It's just not something that we really have felt a strong pull to do. And to be honest, I think because we got to a place, even though it still hurts sometimes, that we got to a place where we were okay with just being the two of us, we've really been able to do a lot of things that I think other people would have a harder time doing. We took a trip to Europe for our 10th wedding anniversary and we were gone for two weeks. We went to Paris and London and Ireland. And that's something I don't think that we would have done if we had kids or it would have at least been 
harder to do if we had kids. Which, you know, is not to say that people shouldn't have kids or should have kids or whatever, because people can do whatever they want to do. But for us, we definitely have grown closer to each other and really cherish our relationship that we have. And I don't know if having kids would have changed any of that for us or if we would have the same relationship that we do if we had had kids. You also have some pretty sweet Disney passes, right? Well, yes. When Disneyland has been open, we have had Disneyland annual passes. And we live in Northern California, so we're not too far away from Disneyland. So it's definitely something that we have experienced many times together, and we love it. We love doing that together. It's definitely something that we enjoy. So there is a big correlation that I'm seeing here, which is there's a lot of emotional trauma, not just the physical from the accidents, but the emotional trauma from the accidents. I think you mentioned before that the accidents happened before you entered the process of trying to get pregnant, right? The fertility journey. And then you try to go through the fertility process. And then all of a sudden, you kind of go into shock that you realize that it may not be an option for you. So I'm curious if you've ever considered going to therapy because it sounds like there's a strong emotional correlation between not being able to have a child, the tenseness in your body and like how it connects with you physically. I never considered going to therapy. It was not necessarily something that anyone in my family really ever did. So it was not something that I even really looked at as an option nor was it something that I ever felt like I necessarily needed to do. I think I just thought, I'm good. I accepted this, like, it's okay. But from doing this myofascial release therapy, and the fact that that actually comes up a lot when I'm having a physical release is that emotions or memories will be triggered. And I start thinking about those things and talking through them with Judith it has made me think that therapy probably would have been something that would have been very beneficial for me to do years ago. And it was just something that I never considered. And I think a lot of times when you have something that's physically going on, because I always did this, I never even thought that there could be something more than just something physical. Like if your back hurts for some reason, you figure you did something to hurt your back. Like you tweaked it somehow, you slept wrong, something happened, and that's why it hurts. It's not usually our first thought to ever think, maybe there's something emotional that I went through or some other kind of situation that happened in my life that is affecting my back. It was just never a thought to me that I had stuff that I should process through. And I think partly it's because of the type of person I am. I never want to feel my feelings. I never want to process through stuff. I would rather stuff it down and not deal with it. But now I'm dealing with the ramifications of what a lifetime of doing that has done to me. Looking back with hindsight, yes, absolutely. I think I should have considered therapy as an option. I'm proud of you for coming forward with that because it's really hard to admit when we've gone through a period of time where like, oh, you know, if I would have done that differently, maybe things would have turned out differently. But it definitely sounds like you're on the road to getting better and feeling some relief. It sounds like each time you go and you see Judith, that there's a sense of relief. And at least now you know that 
it's important to deal with the thoughts and the feelings in order to get through the pain. I definitely feel like in the last couple of months that I have experienced more physical release and emotional and mental release from my appointments than I have in the four years prior. And I think it's because with everything that's gone on this last year, I've really had a lot of time to be very introspective and to kind of take that time to really look at my life and some of the things that I've gone through, some of the things that have happened to me and try to really process through. I've tried to journal more. I've tried to be more open in expressing my feelings. I try to cry when I feel like I need to cry because that was something I often would not let myself do either. I would stuff down those feelings and I would get that big lump in my throat. If anyone's ever had that, they know how painful that feels because I didn't want to let the tears out. I didn't want anybody to see me cry. I didn't want to deal with it. Having this last year and really having the time and just all the emotions and things that came from this last year that I've had to deal with have really helped me to get to a place where I'm so much more receptive to doing this work and to actually getting myself to a place where I'm able to process through stuff and not stuff anything down. I've really noticed a big difference in the last couple of months where I would go to my appointments twice a week and maybe once a month, I would have like a really big physical release or what we call unwinding with myofascial release therapy. And now I'm experiencing that almost every single appointment when I go. Wow. It's definitely, there's been a huge shift in me in the last couple of months of being more receptive to this is something I really want to learn how to do better so that I'm not dealing with this for the rest of my life. That's huge. And it's nice to hear when we reference the pandemic to know that we were able to get something out of that time that we had with ourselves, you know, where we weren't living our usual life. And I have to say that you have been so resilient through this process over the last 10 years because dealing with multiple car accidents, dealing with, I've dealt with back pain, dealing with infertility, that's a lot of emotional stuff. And it's very easy to fall in this deep, dark hole. And it's okay when people do, but for knowing you over the last, I think it's been like four and a half years, you're generally a very happy person. (laughs) I mean, you get kind of mad, but like for the most part, you're pretty chipper most of the time. Where does that come from? Honestly, I think because I have a tendency to be very negative about things, I kind of just always was like that my whole life. I would see the bad in situations. I think there was just a point that I came to, and I really don't know when exactly it happened, but I just kind of got sick of that. There are so many good things in life, and there are so many positive things to focus on. And I don't want to be the type of person who just dwells on every negative thing that's happening around me. Sometimes people get really annoyed by me because I try to spin situations to be more positive. And it's not because I think that like we shouldn't have negative emotions or we shouldn't be angry or upset at different times because absolutely there are many situations that warrant that. But I don't want to just sit in 
negative feelings all the time and let that consume me. I do try to be a very positive person. I do try to be very happy. And part of that is probably why I have a harder time feeling the emotions that I need to feel because I don't want to be negative. But at the same time, sometimes you have to deal with negative things and process through them so that you can continue being more positive about life. It is definitely a hard balance. And I think that is something that a lot of people don't know about me is that I can be very negative because I really try not to feed into that part of myself. When people do see that, I think they are often surprised or when they hear stuff about my story and things that I've gone through, I think they are surprised because I don't put off that in my regular life. I also think that if you were super negative, it'd be really hard to process what you've been through and to heal. True. Because I think that you have to get to a place in life where you want to change for change to happen. And I think that was part of why maybe in the beginning when I was going to my appointments that I wasn't experiencing as much release as I want, would have wanted to was because I just wasn't in a place where I was ready to process through and deal with those things. And I wasn't ready to change. I was okay with being comfortable in the uncomfortableness that I had established for myself. When I finally got to a point where I was like, I have to make a change. This is not something I can continue to do forever, I think is when things really started happening for me. And I was able to see this is not all that there is for life. If you could say something to somebody that's struggling in physical pain, doesn't really have the answers, doesn't know what's going to happen to them, if they're going to get better, what would be your advice to them? I think my advice for someone who is dealing with something like this or is even just struggling in general with holding on to things and not wanting to process through would be to take some time and sit with yourself and look back on your life for the last 10, 15, 20, however many years you're willing to look back on. Try to take some time and be introspective about what were some of the things in my life that were really hard? What were some of the things that were really good? Do I still feel upset about these things? Are they still bothering me? Am I still stressed about these things? Or is it something that I am not affected by anymore? Because I think for me, with the whole fertility journey, I thought I was over it. And two months ago in an appointment, I started crying and I was having a physical release. And I had this thought in my head that said, you are not a mom and that is okay. Your worth was never tied to that anyway. Your value was never tied to that anyway. And that was something I needed to hear because... I grew up always wanting to be a mom. There was such a huge part of my identity that was tied to that, that I thought I wasn't going to be the best person that I could be unless I was a mom. When in reality, I know that's not true, but it was still something that was so deeply ingrained in me that I thought like I had to be a mom because it was something that I had wanted for so long. Being able to acknowledge that. My worth was never tied to that, that 
me being a mom or not being a mom doesn't make me less valuable of a person. That that's not what my identity is all about was huge. And that was something that I thought I was over. My advice would be that if you feel like you've had something in your life that maybe you felt like you processed through it five years ago, maybe you felt like you got over it, but maybe you haven't completely. Maybe there's still something to that. And if you are experiencing some kind of physical pain or reaction, or even just kind of sitting in negativity and not really sure why, I would definitely encourage you to really try to go to some of those places and sit with those feelings and know this is something that Judith tells me all the time. Know that you can get out of that place whenever you want to, but it's important to sit in it and to feel whatever comes up. And if it gets too much, you don't have to keep doing it. But sometimes it's really important to just feel all of that because maybe you aren't over it as much as you thought you were. And maybe that's some of what's holding you back in life. And leaving on that note, (laughs) that was so good. (laughs) Well, Brianne, I have to say you are one of my favorite people in my life, one of my best friends, incredible human being, a big part of my process and healing through anxiety, depression, trauma, sobriety, everything. I am so blessed to have you in my life. And thank you so much for coming on today to share your story. Thank you for having me. This was really good for me, not only just to talk about, but to get this message out there, because I don't think it's something that a lot of people are talking about. I have not been able to find a lot of resources for myofascial pain syndrome. I am really excited that I had this opportunity to be able to talk about this. Before you go, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast so you can receive new episodes when they are released. If you are enjoying this podcast so far, please take a moment to leave us a review. This is one of the major ways Apple ranks their podcasts, and it really only takes just a few seconds. Thank you for joining me, Lucy Pinto, in this episode of the Sassy Warrior Podcast, Stories of Everyday Resilience. See you next time.